Hi, Vic. How are you? <laughs> I'm so happy to see you. Likewise. I am. You know, it's been such a joy in, uh, oh, there's noise happening. Can you hear that? No. Yeah, I'm getting horrible noise. Hold on a second. I'm going to, this that's because, you know, Paul, I used to have a crew. I used to have a crew and I didn't have to deal with this. You know who I used to think I was? It was amazing <laughs> inside here and all. I've got noise in my head right now. So, you know, once you get used to it, you embrace it. You go, well, you know. I can't hear very well out here, but boy, my hearing is fantastic in the middle of the night in my head. He always asks me if I can hear the ringing in his ears. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. we have some of that going on. You know, but it's, I, I wanted to say, first, first of all, let me start with this. I've been doing this for a while. I've interviewed a lot of wonderful people. I have never, and this is no BS, I am not blowing smoke. There is not anyone ever who is as beloved as you are, who every single person that has written to me has had a story about you, why oh. they adore you. Oh. Jack! Oh. His name is Jack. Jack. So, so, Jack. Um, it, so um, everybody. Jack, my, Jack McGee, my actor. Jack McGee is who I was love. Jack McGee. <laughs> Jack McGee is sending you love. He said he met you in Paris. Yeah, we did see each other in Paris, but we knew each other before that because of that. We both are are are. We have we have a, a design for living that makes the world a safer place. It, it it does, and we have a friend named Bill. Lots of us have a friend named Bill. A lot of us have a friend named. That Bill. that comes in very handy. Um. But seriously, Paul, I, I, my big question to you, I have never seen anybody who is so adored. And I'm wondering, was it always this way? I mean, because where we started, where we come from before getting sober, did everybody love you like that? You know, I wouldn't have any way of knowing. I was so busy adoring <laughs> myself. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, God, you know, what's happened in the last 33 years is that, first of all, gratitude has swept my consciousness. And I've finally arrived at the point where, where, where gratitude and generosity are fuel. And I am so in awe of the world around me of course we you know at this point there's a lot of people crawling through glass and and there's so much hatred and anxiety and vile behavior and the like but what is what is down front and central in my life is i'm surrounded by a lot of people in recovery and and i am i am amazed at the fact that we are all living miracles and and i don't you know you tell your you hear people talking about it. there are those we are every now and then there's a miracle with and, <laughs> and they mention the letters that i don't mention on in a public setting correct that organization i do honor that tradition but the fact is you know all of a sudden i'm really really amazed at the fact that we're all miracles and the miracle goes right back to the fact that in the you know if if somebody is sitting in a meeting and they are drunk and they're but they came to a meeting through a miracle god you know one you know i i never had a problem you know but somebody prayed for me and in a blackout i called it a, a, a doctor and i wound up getting sober so i didn't even have that 
So I was going to ask you what, what, how you got into the rooms, what you you didn't have a bottom. You didn't have a, a, oh, I thing? Had a bottom. Oh, I had a bottom, but I didn't have a problem because, you know, <laughs> about, you know, when I started, you know, I mean, I was, I'm a, my name is Paul and I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict and I'm a, a retired amateur pharmacist as well. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, with, you know, chasing the right combination of drugs through the years and all, uh, I don't think I ever came to that point where I go, oh God, I have to stop. Uh, I just had to get the right combination where I could continue to fool everybody as I always did. And I'm telling you that I thought I was fooling people, you know, when, as my friend Pat McCormick used to say, when you've been up, you know, doing blow two nights in a row, your breath would spin the windmill in a little <laughs> painting, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> and, you know the, the, you know, they did the Steve Kessler did a, a documentary, Paul Williams, still alive. And Fantastic documentary. Well, you, mm -hmm. you watch it, you watch it, Vicky. It's just, I'm this vapid, dead eyed, arrogant little prick. Excuse the language. I mean, I'm just, I see myself in, in you know, when I'm hosting the, the uh, Merv Griffin show, mm -hmm. and I'm joking about, about, infidelity on the road and my kids are watching you know <sighs> oh, it's like yeah yeah I was awful was I loved out yeah more than I should have been more than mm -hmm. I should have been. the peak of getting love for me at this point is you know I mean when I got sober my son was nine and my daughter was was five and I would sit them down in front of, I wrote the songs for a movie called Bugsy Malone. I'd sit them down in front of Bugsy Malone on television again, give them a, a chicken, a barbecue chicken pizza from Coyote Cafe in Laurel Canyon and go in the other room and go, Jesus, what do I say to them? I didn't know, have a clue about how to be a dad. That was way, way up on the, on the ladder, way above my pay grade. I mean, I'm just newly sober and loving it, but I don't know how to be mm -hmm. a dad. About six months ago, after a devastating fire that wiped out my daughter's neighborhood, but but her home was spared, and then having to deal with the toxicity of the fire and the smoke and two small children and everything, after dealing with all this and being in the trenches with her on that, and she's so healthy. She's a, a therapist, and she's you know, and and oh, at fabulous. one point she said to me, "You know what, Dad? Congratulations, you finally hit full tilt, Papa Bear." And I went, what? She said, you hit full tilt, Papa Bear. Wow. And that's like, you know, that's that's some some affection that has, you know, that's solid gold. That's that's a heart payment. And and I and I hadn't earned it until evidently recently I, I I've earned it. And that's and that's that program that we don't mention by name because what began to happen in my life is I began to reflect the elegance of kindness that was shined into my life by people that I didn't know who prayed for me and and by people who, you know, when I walked into a room and was honest enough to say, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm dying and I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to drive drunk with my kids in the car like my dad did with me when I was mm -hmm. honest enough to do that. In that holy moment, and we've seen it most of us that are sober have seen that from two sides. When we came in and we shared the truth, finally, we saw that that response. And now we get it to, to see it 
as I know you do from the other side, when somebody sits down across from you and goes, well, got five years and I haven't been here in a while. And, uh, you know, so uh, the job is, uh, yeah, the job, at least at home with the wife and the kids and watch this person just, his body language just sinks. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I can't even do this. I can't. I don't think I have today. I think I had a drink after midnight. And and when somebody in the, you know, and they've been working hard to hide this crap and this behavior for maybe decades is all of a sudden leaning forward and telling me the truth and you the truth. It's just. It's stunning. It's stunning. It's, it's, it's. I wish we could bottle it. I wish we could spray it around the, the globe, especially in Washington, D.C. I would just, <laughs> oh, my God. Around George Santos. <laughs> you know, darling. but Paul, something that I makes you even more endearing to me is that uh, at one point, I can't remember what the circumstance was, but I think you came into a meeting and you said, um, I'm late. I got stuck in traffic. And then you you busted yourself and you were like watching golf or something. And what was so perfect, what was I told so, the truth. you told the truth. But what was so perfect about the moment, Paul, is that we are still human beings. I am still, I am an addict till the day I die. My default is always going to be liar, cheater, stealer. I mean, I have to, I have to be vigilant to be this other person. And I still misstep all the time, um, not in hopefully big ways, but. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's a little thing and there's something inside that causes it. I'm not sure what it is, but somebody walks up to me and goes, you're in the music business. You must know Phil Henderman. And I'm go- and my head's bobbing like that, you know, Freddie Prince's little dog in the back of the window, you know, like <laughs> Henderman, like, and I have no idea who Phil Henderman is, but my head is already lying. And then, eventually, because I, I know I'm supposed to know who this. Guy, how did I hold on? Let me let Mariana in. Mariana's at the door. Oh yes, go let Mariana in. Hi everybody. I know you probably have questions out there, and I'm going to try and kind of, I'm, I'm looking at all the hellos from everybody, and I'm going to try and. Um, uh, uh, I'm going to try and, uh, the, uh, Adam, I'm seeing, um, boy in the plastic bubble, Paul signed your LP. Nice. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Linda. Hi, Mickey. Hi, Edward. Hi, Tova. Hi, Danny. Hi, Tony. Um, hi, Valerie. Hi, Jean. Um, uh, we're waiting for, oh, wait, you're back. Holy, I'm, I'm back. reading I'm all back. the hellos. <laughs> I heard you saying hi to all those nice people. Uh, no, I just, what not that charming? He got up and let his wife in the door because <laughs> we have a sticky front door. We have to get a new. Uh, anyway, what I was saying is that, is that I, my head is already lying. I love your head is lying. <laughs> and, and that uh, <laughs> but eventually my recovery will catch up with that, me. And I go, I'm sorry, I don't know who that is. And the the look on somebody's face when you've been doing this for the, you know for a minute, and then you go, I don't know who that is. <laughs> it's it's wonderful. It's a perplexed look that uh, that really worked. Anyway, so tell uh, was telling the truth something you had to learn to do. 
well, to to hide my medicine, I became a chronic and habitual liar. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it became, you know, it was a, a self-preservation skill mm -hmm. that that I thought was working. Um, I, you know, and I mean, and I, because I lied all the time, not only about not being sober, you know, uh, you know, about saying I was sober when I wasn't, but, but, uh, but all the the gigs that I, you know, the, the all the appointments that I missed, I mean, I, I the again and again and again, I would call and I'd say, you know what, I had, I've got to have emergency dental work, you know, so you would think that I had teeth that were just spectacular, you know. <laughs> because of all the dental work that I had done and it was usually me lying because I was I was you know like just about to nod out because I'd run out of blow and and uh and then they want me to talk to the head of, of to programming at daytime programming at ABC about writing a song called love in the afternoon Danny my manager would you take this meeting for me I uh, I need to go see the dentist again he went really yeah so paul how much wreckage did you because one of the things we do in that place we won't name is that we clean up the wreckage of our past how did you even begin to clean up that wreckage with all the heads of the of the studios and the record labels and the well you know Tr tracy jackson uh who was you know my my dear friend and longtime friend and, and writing partner uh on, on the one book that i was ever ever associated with as a writer uh she talked about the fact that she had a show in development at one of the networks and said that you know that uh, i really want paul williams to play this one part and they said you know back up a truck full of cocaine if, if you want paul williams uh, wow. when, I, when i got sober the career that i thought i had had been gone for probably 10 years um i mean the 80s were just you, you know you're an alcoholic when you misplace a decade and <laughs> so, so i'm walking around the paul williams like the star on hollywood boulevard <laughs> like that and all and uh, i am i have slowly but surely moved into the land of who who paul who yeah no so, no, no, no but but no but embrace that that's the truth you know and uh so when i got sober yeah, and it's funny because the first thing I did when I got sober, and the first job, as far as writing writing for something major, was thanks to the generosity of Brian Henson and the Muppets. You know, because I'd done a lot of work with you know with mm -hmm. the, with the Henson family and the Muppets, and uh, they called and asked me to write the songs for for uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol. And think about the universe providing the perfect job for you to a welcome back job to write about somebody named Scrooge who's having a spiritual awakening. <laughs> somebody named Paul is having a spiritual awakening. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I felt like and it was just it was the most beautiful match where all I had to do was get out of the way and let the grace that that had saved me, you know, find its you know, find the words that matched up to how I felt. And it was just and 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 the technique the 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 way that I write changed immediately when I got sober. Because okay, I want to ask you about this because when you're in a fog, I, I hate to interrupt you because I could just let you go, but I have so many questions. When you're in a fog, when you're in, when you're in a drug induced fog, did 
things just come in one? Was it more arduous? Like, how did your writing change? Sober, not sober. Well, when I was loaded, I was brilliant. <laughs> well, of course. When I, when, I, you know, when I was brilliant, I would, you know, and I would write down, you know, a uh, picture of diamond in the dark. Without the light, it cannot shine. If you need words to know your mind, what must my silence do? Oh, Jesus, this is brilliant. But who's going to relate to that? Nobody. Because there's because it's all from the head and there's, you know, there's no, you know, I wrote Ouch Mommy songs. I, you know, I, I'm famous for writing codependent anthems. You know? <laughs> you know, I won't last a day without you is not a healthy thought, but it's the way a lot of us feel when there's mm -hmm. no getting over that rainbow. When mm -hmm. my smallest of dreams won't. Pass. I was crying in the shower listening to your music this afternoon. I, literally crying in the shower. You you write from your kishkas. I do. <laughs> from my yeah. I do. You do. You write from your kishkas. But was it was it more? Okay. So this is my question. So would things come to you in, in a, or was it more arduous, or did that not really change? Sober, not sober. No, no. I when I started writing, I started writing as, as a contract writer at, at AM Records with a guy named Roger Nichols, and we just wrote almost every day. And we sat down, and he would play music for me, note for note. B D da D da da D da da da, and I would write. You know, if he wrote da 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 da, da I wrote. We've only just begun. I mean, it was note for note, word for word. And because I hear words in the music, the music is an, is an expressed emotion. I respond to expressed emotions, whether you're smiling or, or looking at me like, what's wrong with you? I'm responding to that. And I respond to the, to the emotion in a melody. So I developed my craft at the, at the hem of a brilliant composer. You know, uh, and, I, and, and then I started writing more alone and the like. But what happened is is the 70s was was all about you know i started i started writing late i was like 27. Been, Can you, I, was, I heard a story i heard you tell a story about being on set with marlon brando when you picked up a little guitar and had a little break what can you tell us that story yeah, I was sharing a dressing room with a kid named Mark Seaton who had a beautiful guitar. We were working on a movie called The Chase with Marlon Brando, Robert Redford, Jane Fonda, Robert Duvall. It's an amazing cast. And I think. I and had, how old are you? I, at the time, I'm like 25. And I'm playing a 16-year-old, uh, uh, the you know, teenagers that are, are flying around in hot rods and all. <laughs> and I think I have two lines in the picture. It was a huge, huge picture of... Um, and uh, shooting mainly at night, and we're shooting a scene where where uh, where there's Robert Redford is is a a prisoner who's escaped. He's hiding in a junkyard, and us kids set the junkyard on fire. His name was Bubba, and this guy that I shared a dressing room with, Mark Seaton, had a beautiful guitar, and I picked it up, and he went, "Don't touch that. It's a Martin." I said, "I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't know they had names, you know." So this was Martin. Okay. Uh, but I went out and I got myself a little guitar. I painted it so it would play really good. <laughs> Just I knew no, I mean, I, I knew nothing about music, but I'm I'm looking and, and I'm finding chords. I don't know what they're called. I don't know a C is a C or whatever. Somebody must have shown me how to tune it. And I'm just sitting watching this scene being shot and I, and I'm just for my own amusement, I just without even thinking about it, I went, bubba, 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 come out wherever you are. Oh, we're going to come in and get you. Yes, we're going to come in and get you. And Robert Duvall was walking by. And he went, what is that? I said, it's a guitar. I just bought it. He said, not the, not the guitar. <laughs> what you were singing. I said, 
And I thought I was in trouble. I was like, oh, <laughs> I, it's nothing. I just made it up. He said, come with me. I go, oh, now I'm really trouble. <laughs> Walks me over to Arthur Penn, the director, brilliant director, it, it, coming off the success of The Miracle Worker he directed. Mm. So, and I mean, it's like this monster cast. And all I go over to Arthur Penn. He says, show him. I said, it's a guitar. But I mean, he's not <laughs> showing the song. So I showed him the little song. And he said, Kovalev, stand over here by the by the barbed wire. And he said, okay, light them up. And they lit everything up, brought the Kodak around, and they shot it. And they shot it again with me in the, in, standing up in the back of a little deuce, you know, little, little hot rod we'd been running around in. And it's in the movie. So it's like oh, the God. going, no, 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 acting, no, not acting, not, no, you know, you need this is what you need to do and two years later i started writing songs i mean for tonight you would have thought that i would have immediately gone wow but i didn't you know and the what'd you do in that what you were acting in those two years during the two years mainly i was like sitting around waiting for the phone to ring <laughs> and uh and then i was and then they took the phone out you know and then my mom moved in with me from back east or the midwest and then she got a job and it was like, you know, so, and it's just, and what happened is I had met a guy, I was a improvisational actor on a, on the Mort Saul show. Oh, Mort Saul. Oh. Mort Saul had a local TV show. So I was on there and I met a guy named Biff Rose who had some wonderful, funny songs and some beautiful songs. And he, he had started a song called Fill Your Heart. And I jumped in and I wrote the lyrics to, you know, to a big hunk of it when, and, uh, he went to AM Records and he played several songs of his, including two or three that we'd written. And they gave him an advance and he rented a piano for he had a gig that night at I think at the uh at the at the uh God, what was the name of it? Anyway, in Pasadena, uh the Ice House. Mm -hmm. And uh, Anyway, so he lets me, he said, but incidentally, the, the so this there's these songs that that, I, that there was somebody else who worked on the lyrics and and uh, so I went in and, and I was given a, a contract. It was great. That song was recorded, Fill Your Heart was recorded by Tiny Tim. It was the B-side of oh. Tiptoe Through the Tulips. <laughs> and, and I was, and they played it as, as much as they did Tiptoe. And I was like, you know, I love Tiny, but God, I mean, I'm rock and roll. I'm white light and black leather. Come on. you know. It's, and I'm not. I mean, I'm like <laughs> this middle of the road guy. Eventually, it's interesting. Noah's uh, is like, no, I did not want that song necessarily there. Years later, because of that recording of it, uh, it was it was uh, it was recorded by by David David Bowie and on the Hunky Dory album. And it's like I couldn't have planned to, uh, to ever get that song to him. So it was like, wait a minute, I go from going, yeah, but I don't, yeah, but. To, <laughs> Wow, Hunky Dory's got my song on it, you know. So, so you've been you've been Noah's kind a, of the 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 bumper sticker is Noah's a gift, you know. You know there, well, there are three answers to any question I've been told. Yes, not right now. Something better. There is no no, right? Write it down. Put it on. Put it on a card, and uh, you know, and let everybody learn that. Because when, when you believe that, you let go of the fear, and the fear is a prayer. I believe that what we dwell on, we create. Early sobriety. You know, I was was uh, fell in love with Emmett Fox and Emmett Fox's writing, and just the concept that you know, like going, I'm not going to get that job, is heard as by the universe as a prayer. You know, 
I use the golden key today, as a matter of fact. Emmett Fox wrote the golden key. That's one of my favorite tools. Were you the one who said recently, somebody said to me, oh, Kev Moe said to me, every word I say is a prayer. And I guess he got that from uh, the Dalai Lama. I think he got that from, but um, that's kind of beautiful right there. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, and the the power of, of intention that, you know, and... You know, I think you know Wes. Who's uh, Wes is a I a, do yeah, a, a, an amazing guy, and and we worked together for a long, long time. I was, and uh, he talks about the fact that God is always a thought, just a thought away, just a mm-hmm. it's just a thought away. God is there. So if he, you know, and one of the things I think it's in in around the year with Emmett Fox, he talks about the fact that the Inuit, you know, with the sled dogs. If they saw two sled dogs fighting, they would see God where the dogs were. The dogs would stop fighting. And I was like, come on. It's just, it makes sense that if if God is or isn't. And my line always about God is it's not a God of my understanding. I could have, I mean, God should, instead of being called he or, or she, God should be called they, which is is a, an important word in, in my family. Uh, uh, but but also, tell, tell everybody what you call your your god paul my oh the big amigo the yeah. big amigo <laughs> and i don't understand i don't understand god but i don't understand electricity either and i use it every day it <laughs> lights up my life you know <laughs> paul so what what sparked you why why did you want to be an actor what I, I i get what got you to music what sparked you to want to be an actor when I was 13 years old, my dad, who was a drunk, uh, died mm-hmm. in a single car wreck. Mm-hmm. I was one I'm of those so kids who got up. He'd get me up in the middle of the night to sing, you know, Danny Boy to his friend, Ike McShane, that he drank <laughs> with. Oh. Ike McShane, incidentally, hated me. And <laughs> I mean, the last thing <laughs> Ike McShane wanted was to hear some gnome sing Danny Boy in the middle of the night. And, I, and it's interesting, in re- mm-hmm. retrospect, at 82, I look back at that and I go, I could see that. I mean, as a little boy, I could see that, but my dad couldn't, you know, because mm-hmm. he had the he had the blinders of his addiction, you know. Mm-hmm. He was in, in you know in his cups, as they used to say, mm-hmm. and he didn't see that. I mean, he would be drunk driving the car, and I felt like my uh, my attention was keeping the car on the road. If I just concentrated, if I just don't Absolutely. look at me, you know. So when I talk about that, and when I when I speak, and you know. Uh, about my recovery i i try to always put that in as a just a tip of the hat to, uh, and a kind of living amends to the alanons in the room because what we do when we're when we're in our in, in our addiction and you know the, the 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 crap we do to people is just you know in in defense of our own indefensible behavior is really bad so I like to I like to talk about you know what I sense about those that behavior and how you know I a, a young lady that was my girlfriend who would say to me you know I know you're using I, I love you too much to 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 watch you die I'm gonna have to leave but let's get let's get you some help and I go what did your dad do to you what's wrong with you you know you that you can't trust me and she, and she would doubt herself you know and. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's funny, I'll tell that at a meeting sometimes if I'm speaking and bring that up. And, and a lot of times there's laughter and I go, that's not funny. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. funny, but it's not funny because it's because it's damaging. 
-hmm. and what we do and to protect our keep our med medicine safe and hidden uh, is can be really really uh destructive did you get to make an amends to her paul oh yeah yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah i have um Okay, so wait. Let's go back to that that other question. We're gonna we're gonna weave recovery through this. What, so at thirteen, what lit your spark to uh, to want to be an actor? How did that path start for you? I think that when my dad died and I was shipped off to live with, live with an aunt and uncle, my mother kept my younger brother, uh, the, the aunt that was supposed to keep me for two weeks while she moved, uh, had me sit down and write. And she said, You're, "If you if you go home, every bite of food you that you take will be a bite of food your brother's not going to get. And if you're the little man that I think you are, you're going to write a letter to your, to your mom and say that you really want to stay here. So I did that. So I was, it was, you know, I was manipulated in, into writing these letters and I wanted to go home. Wow. I wanted to go home. So, but I'd, after all that, I didn't want to, I don't think I ever consciously thought I don't want to be, I didn't, I didn't even feel a lot of what was going on until I was probably five years sober. I went, I looked at my childhood and I went, oh my God, it's like Dickens. It's like, <laughs> how could you not have been crying yourself to sleep every night? Because when did you, when did you start fooling around with drugs and alcohol? Probably in like in like the ninth or tenth grade with my buddies. I had a buddy that that worked in the stock room of a liquor store. His name was Chuck Hinkle. And if we gave him the money, he'd give it to the booze out the back. Hmm. And when I got when I was, you know, out drinking with my buddies, and and I had a really slow body clock. They'd given me shots when I was like eight or nine because I wasn't growing. And a doctor in Albuquerque gave me male hormone which is the worst thing he could have done. He said, oh, my gosh, boy, did you grow? Gave me shots and it kicked me into puberty. And all of a sudden, I had no interest in my my toy chest, but my aunt Edna's chest was like, wow, you know? And they noticed this. <laughs> they stopped the shots, but when they stopped the shots, it's like, so I had all this desire that is so weird for a little nine-year-old guy. And then they take all that, that the hormones away. And so I, you know, I, wait, I, so what did that do to you? You had them I, and then you didn't have well, them. Physically, I didn't need puberty until I was like 22. Oh, so God. I went through high school with a body that looked like it was made out of cantaloupe <laughs> and you know, going in the showers going, I don't care how big you make me, but cover me with fur, please. Oh my God. But well, I'll tell you at 82, when I feel like a tired 34, I'm grateful for that slow body clock because I don't feel 82 or act 82 when I may get zapped by the big amigo tomorrow or hit by a beer truck or something. But the fact is that I, I am younger than my years. And you I certainly think, are. And I think it's related somehow to the mistake that was made when I was like nine. And I will tell you that, that the, the emotional repercussions of that was a, a romanticizing and appreciation for the delicacy of love and attention that made me want to write songs that, that were not kick-ass masculine songs. They were songs like, like, if I can make you cry, if I can fill your eyes with pleasure just by holding you in the early mm. hour of the morning when the day that lies ahead is not quite begun, that's enough for me. That's all the hero I need to be. 
I saw that's hero plenty, Paul. What? <laughs> that's crazy, hero. Uh, the songs that you've written, the uh, the body of your work. So, how did you do that when you were fucked up? How how were you able to be so creative? How were you able to keep that together? I don't know. How are you? I I was not. I, I still am not prolific as as you, as you well, were. Are. A lot of the was just, you know, that I found, you know, when I started looking for words to write songs and, and notes and chords to write songs, I came face to face with probably 26, 27 years of not feeling stuff and and kind of being okay with everything and just saying what I thought people wanted to hear and doing a short joke and short jokes were my, were my refuge you know and uh, I came up with a line the other night trouble was a second home and it was just there was but I, I all of a sudden I was sitting down breathing and enthusiastically looking to express something that I was feeling and but you're back, you're you're excuse me there was a backlog of so much to express and the key the blessed key was that when i first started writing i wrote i collaborated with one guy almost every day and then i added other guys and then i started writing words and music and all this emotion and and a lot of it was needy. A lot of it was, you know, I, I won't last today without you is, a, you know, not a healthy thought, but it was <laughs> something that, that I expressed that I think a lot of people felt, you know, mm -hmm. Roger and I wrote, you know, no, our songs were not on the radio until the Carpenters came around. Mm -hmm. they, these two kids showed up and they knew our songs. They knew songs that were album cuts and all. And then they went in and recorded, we've only just begun and I won't, and rainy days and Mondays, and, you know, let me be the one. They were so amazing. You know, the, and the career that I have. I mean, when an angel sings your songs like Karen Carpenter, it's just, you know, everything changes. Every, everything changes. Is it true that the Fifth Dimension were originally going to record that song? I'm not sure. I know I, I, I get one of the, fir the first tour that I did. Mm hmm was with the fifth and they've been friends for you know my entire life i'd worked with marilyn on uh, uh solid gold for years we were co-hosts mm -hmm. of, of solid gold wow you know i i think that that uh we've only just well we, we've only just begun had all the romantic beginnings of a bank commercial it was a bank <laughs> commercial roger and i wrote for crocker <laughs> bank they showed a young couple getting married and and uh driving off into the sunset and and we wrote the song and then finished it as a complete song, just in case somebody would ever want to record it. It was certainly the number one album at the time was in Agata De Vida. So this was not going to be a big hit by anybody. But we finished the song and then I and I sang it on the commercial. And Richard Carpenter, like in the middle of the night, sleepless night, thank you, God, heard saw the commercial and he recognized my voice and he, you know, the, he uh he called and asked if there was a complete song. We said yes. We recorded it and it was just it changed everything you know it changed everything okay so you're you've made so you didn't quite make uh, uh you didn't stop acting to go do this you were able to do both and you still I, continue to do both well, let me put it this way i was given the opportunity to act and you can see the acting in almost all of it there's in, in 
<laughs> there's, there's a scene from Policewoman in uh, <laughs> in uh, Paul Williams still still alive, where where Angie Dickinson shoots me. It's the worst death you've ever seen on film. I'm like. <laughs> just you know and then i mean so there was a lot of that but but i mean i i wanted to act i, I did the tonight show with with robert blake and i said i love i love beretta he said well write one and i did and he said you're the only one that ever did i wrote one for myself and and did uh did an episode of that i wrote a policewoman i wrote you know wow. rather, a hawaii not a policewoman i wrote a hawaii 50 whatever like that and, and it was some really mediocre acting on the other side of that is at this point in my life i mean i just spent two years with billy bob thornton on goliath and and fantastic oh my god his the level that he works at that is that is just honest you know just listen what are you feeling when you hear the, somebody say that to you and say it back and then respond you know it's just and so it's you know my there was so much ego in my acting for so long and and uh and hopefully that i've gotten to a place where i in in some ways uh acting is is for me at this point in my life when i get a chance to act is what songwriting was at that point where it was a place to to deal with the emotions and and honestly and and you know and express them uh, I just love it. I I I just I just am the luckiest human being in the world. I just I'm so grateful. Well, I think we're the luckiest human beings to get to benefit from all of your luck, as you call it, Paul. All right. So wait, I've asked this question five times. So tell me, what lit the fire? What started that whole creative thing for you at thirteen? What, what, what was it? Did you see something? Did you what What made you say, okay, I want to do that. I'm going to do that. I don't think that that it was that it was conscious. I think that mm -hmm. that that I wanted to be somebody else. You know, I mm. mean, I was very very different. I was a little boy trapped in a, in a teenager body uh, around teenagers that were becoming young men, and I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I, so I was drastically physically different. And eventually, you know, I caught up. You know, it's <laughs> like one of those. Wait a minute. <laughs> Ah, we're home at last. You know, it's like now let's examine this in detail, and I did. You know, and uh, and I was just, you know, but but there was a, a lot of years there where I just, you know, I I wanted, you know, it's 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 really difficult to be different and feel different. Uh, it's dangerous to be special because you know, and and that's. I would get to a point in my life, or I, I would get to a point in my life where I began to see that everybody was special, you know. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, the broken have something just wonderfully special in what what occurs on on the you know post breakage, post when you when you find yourself in this in pieces. Sometimes when you pick yourself up and and some amazing force kind of puts you back together sometimes you come back together in a way that allows you to to be less trapped by your own ego your own uh your own uniqueness uh, and your own difference and uh 
You know, there was an amazing book by the woman, by the, I think it was Alice Miller that wrote the drama, The Gifted Child. And she wrote a book about, about genius and why some genius are, are loving and kind and productive and why some are Hitler, you know. Mm -hmm. And what she found is she looked at, you know, somebody like, like uh, Picasso, whose mother, I think, died in giving childbirth during an, uh, an earthquake. I mean, this horrific thing that he experienced. And yet he turned into the, I mean, granted, he had a, it was evidently a very interesting man and a bit of a, you know, a, a, a loose cannon, whatever and all, but he was productive. He was, you know, and he, and he created something beautiful. And yet he had this horrible experience and Hitler had had evidently a similar experience and was evil, obviously. But the difference was that Picasso had a, a sympathetic witness, had somebody that's a, a nanny who said, you know what, you don't deserve this. You didn't cause this. And you certainly don't deserve to, to have experienced what you did. You know, and you're and you're going to be all right. You're you're a good person. You're going to be fine. And there's something in that. And I, I think that that for me, it was it was some writer buddies, some actor buddies in junior high and high school, who were were my sympathetic witness. And uh, I think that that having a sense of that makes all of us, you know, more caring about the people around us. I, I, I that makes so much sense to me. Did your mother support you? How did your mother feel about what you were doing? Because and you got success really quickly. How is she with all of that? Well, you know, she passed away when I was in when I was thirty four. So she saw the whole thing with the explosion of the, of the songwriting and the you know the, the you know the gold records and the, the, the you know I, I did forty eight tonight shows. She saw probably half of those. What's interesting is 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 that I began to understand what she suffered with getting letters from me that said I wanted to stay. You know, her husband has been killed. She has no skill other than being a. She was a homemaker. She mm -hmm. went to work. She she's got a, a little boy living in a trailer who's who's at home in the dark. It's still dark, and she's taking three buses to get home. I was out with people, and the people that that had essentially just adopted me or taken me away from that household mm -hmm. that trailer that was warm and loving and whatever were crazy people with a lot of money so they bought me a horse and they you know it was like but she had done what she thought was right for me you know mm -hmm. now five years of Kleinian analysis or <laughs> not wasn't that many young I'm exaggerating <laughs> Probably probably three years of of Kleinian analysis and mm -hmm. interrupted what I it was not as dedicated as it was supposed to be, but I but I had an an amazing therapist who just all she wanted me to do was eventually stop defending my mother and go but she gave you up and it really hurt you know and I was going yeah but she was yeah but she was I think at a certain point she actually said it which therapists usually don't do or like probably sat on my chest and went say it. <laughs> gave you up wow you know wow but i have to tell you that i went home the day after i graduated from high school and i know I was never going to go back and we compared the letters that i've written and what she had written to me and the not sent and it was like oh my god i was back in my mother's arms with my little brother i um and uh yeah she was so proud I wrote a song right when she was when she was dying. 
uh, of, of ovarian cancer uh, in 1974. I had a song that I had written for for uh, uh, a movie called The Man I Love Cat Dancing. The song's not in the movie, but it's a song called Dream Away, and Frank Sinatra recorded it. Mm -hmm. I called Sarge Weiss at Frank's office, and I said, you know what? My mother's really, really ill, and there's a song that's kind of also about the movie, but the, but it's also about what she's going through right now. And I'd love to play it for her and he, and put Frank on the phone. And Frank said, "I'll get the, I'll, I'll take care of the." He called me Mr. Pauly, Mr. Pauly, I'll take care of this. And he sent me a dub of the song, and and so I pl I played the song for my my mom, and uh, it's like uh, uh, the tagline: "It is when there's no room left to live inside ourselves, do we dream away? When the winter when." Uh, when the winter breaks the northern wind, the child they bear is snow, and the branches bow like worried bridesmaids, but the trees will grow. Sun and earth and time will come together. God will give us back our summer weather, but the memories of that first sweet taste of love pass away so slow. So dream away, child. Let your dreams run wild, or a lifetime of worries could tame you. Dream away, child. Let your dreams run wild, for the years and the tears shed might tame you. Can the wise men count the pointless lies we tell, or the price we pay? And our songs a place to keep those words of love that I could not say. And when there's no room left to live inside ourselves, do we dream away? And I played her Sinatra singing that, and she went, now you're a real songwriter. Oh. Oh, my Lord. That's what she thought. Now you're a real songwriter. Wow. Wow. I think you told us last time that Rainy Days and Mondays, didn't that have something, didn't you write that for your mom? Did that have something to do with your mom? Well, Roger played me this beautiful melody, ta da dee da do da dee da da and I said, what am I going to write about? And I, and I remember that when, when I was, you know, after the the thing with the with the chase and all, and I'm, she's out going to work in the morning, she'd get up in the morning, and I'd be up all night long in my pajamas out on the couch writing songs, and she would say to me, she'd go, you know, don't worry, my son, God has a plan, you know, and then she'd walk away and she cussed to herself like nobody could hear her. She'd be like, son of a bitch, what's going to happen to that little guy? You know, my son is like, and I'd go, mom, what's the matter? And she'd go, which for her was a word. She'd go, oh, you wouldn't, never mind. I'm just, I'm just feeling old, you know? So I'm sitting there and Roger goes, do, 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 do. I'm going, what am I going to talk about? And I remembered my mom. I'm talking to myself and feeling old, you know. Wow. That's, yeah. So thanks, Bob. Yeah. How, so how much, I'm thinking a lot, how much of what you write comes from, I'm thinking it all comes from places like that. Well. It's, is it all, it, it's all stuff you felt or you feel, No. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's a, it is a mystery to me. Sometimes I don't know. <laughs> you know? Um, is it ever arduous, Paul? Do you ever sit down and like the words don't like it is? Is it ever hard work or does it always just kind of flow out? 
you know what i've found is, is that that the real work is done in my unconscious I'll tell mm. you and it began with with the, the moment christmas carol and i've told this story a lot and if and if you've heard it uh i, I apologize but it's 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 the best example of what I can, of, of my, my writing style and, and mm -hmm. how I work. The first song in, in Muppet Christmas Carol is Scrooge. You see Scrooge's feet, he opens up a door, he's walking through the mud and all. And, uh, and uh, as he passes these little creatures, they seem to get colder. So I'm, I'm gonna write this song. Disney really wants a song about Scrooge to open the picture. Uh, so I, I'm in Brentwood. I grab a tape recorder, I grab a, a, a pad and a pen, and I grab a, a Lawrence Block novel because I'm a big fan of that genre and Lawrence Block and and James. Ebert. I love Lawrence Block. He used to come to one of those places where we go. With yeah, me. exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> I love that about him too. Yeah. So anyway, I go out and I basically pray. I go, okay, big amigo, a creative force, you know, whoever you are up there. I mean, not out loud, but I'm just thinking, you know, the, you know what the scene is. I had read the, you know, Dickens, you know, original manuscript. Mm -hmm. I read this, this, the script. I knew what the scene was about. Let me know when you got an idea. And I picked up the, uh, the James, the uh, Lawrence, the you know you know the 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 book and the the and started reading Larry Block's you know wonderful pages and about three pages in I put it down and went okay he's walking when a cold wind blows it chills you chills you to the bone but there's nothing in nature that freezes your heart like years of being alone oh damn it's you know. You know, you guys are good. You know, I think that's what it, it paints you with indifference, like a lady paints with rouge. But the worst of the worst, the most hated and cursed, is the one that we call Scrooge. Oh, there goes Mister Humbug. There goes Mister Grim. If they gave a prize for being mean, the winner would be Kim. It poured out of me. And wow. So I'm. I can't write it down fast enough, but I'm recording it as I'm singing it on my little tape recorder, and. I look back at a history of I have a I get you know okay there's a, a new TV movie you know at Fox with uh, with with John Travolta it's called Boy with the Plastic Bubble they want you to write a song I put it off I put it off I put it off at the last minute I sit down and it pours out of me and a friend of mine who's on the ASCAP board of directors wonderful composer named Richard Bellis said to me one time when I I said you know what I just had I had this this habit of of uh, procrastinating and he said you were not procrastinating you were percolating yeah and what i realized almost immediately and what has become the way that i write is the way that i got sober as i surrendered to it mm -hmm. and my you know and the best example i can give to a non-writer of what we what it is that we do is when you're trying to remember a name and you can't and you go wait a minute god damn it what's the name i've known this guy since what's it you know, happened recently to you and I. We're talking to remember somebody's name, and you go like that, and, you know, and then finally you just go screw it. And maybe two hours later, maybe in the middle of the night, maybe maybe twelve seconds later, it's gotten to be with sometimes with me. But all of a sudden, you go, the name pops into your head. Well, who up there has been looking for it? You know what? What what little crew of little guys are up there going through the Rolodex? <laughs> I know. I, you go in here like it's going to, ah. 
<laughs> here we go. Here we go. Tom Jantz. Wow. That's the, you know, well, I think the creative process is like that for me. I, you know, that's me. That's my, my collective experience. That's my, you know, it's kind of a constructive kind of dreaming, but you're denied the dream until it's finished. And then you get the, the, the dream and sometimes you get it a line at a time, whatever. But, uh, but it's an amazing mystical process. And I, and I'm, I'm just, you know, to have stumbled into this and no was, was, you know, was the, uh, no was, was the navigational nudge that I needed to keep me on the path to do this for a living. Uh, I encourage everybody. I'm a parent's worst nightmare. If you want your kid to get a lot of green, whatever like that, you know, I'm like, if you want to write, 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 you know, it's, you know, go. God put you, you would not put, that talent was not put in your chest for you to suffer, write. We need your words, you know, and come to ASCAP. We'll take really good care of you. Okay, so talk to us about ASCAP. What, how did you, the president of ASCAP, what, what drew you to, to be of service there? Because you've been doing it for years and years. Yeah, I've been there a long time. Well, they were to start in 1972, I joined ASCAP and they've been feeding my family for <laughs> since then. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, when I, I had my first hit and when it was being played, they were keeping track of where it was being played and keeping track of the of the royalties. Mm -hmm. And they would send it to me after they took a tiny little percentage out for operating costs and sent it to me immediately. And, and you know, we are the only uh, non-for-profit PRO in this country. Every other one is, and, and they're, and, you know, I, I love ASCAP. They, they took care of me for all these years. Hal David was a dear friend. Mm -hmm. who wrote you know mm -hmm. all the, the lyrics for Burt Bacharach uh, all this wonderful wonderful songs what the world needs now is love uh, Alfie uh, I mean uh, one after another uh, Hal was a great friend and he was on he was a past president of ASCAP and uh, the president of ASCAP is always a songwriter it's 12 writers and 12 publishers on the on the board of directors we have 900,000 members and an amazing uh, uh, CEO who has done more for ASCAP. I mean, she's just stunning. Her name is Beth Matthews. And, uh, but, but Hal said, you know, I want you, I, I think you should run for the board. Mm -hmm. I said, I ran for the board twice in the eighties and, and didn't get, didn't, and was, was rejected. He said, as well, you should have been. <laughs> As well, you should have been. Oh, that was the eighties. Okay, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, but Hal was was sober forty years when he passed. Wow. A lot of people didn't know that, and I just wow. anonymity. But I don't think it would it would bother him right now, because he was a an amazing talent, an amazing, generous human being. And he said, "But you know, you're on the path now. I think you I think you'd be good for ASCAP." And I was elected to the board of directors in, in 2001 and in 2009, I was, I was elected when brilliant, brilliant, brilliant Marilyn Bergman stepped down after 14 years uh, of, of amazing service to ASCAP. Oh my God, Alan and Marilyn are just stunning. And she, you know, she passed away recently and, and, uh, but I mean, she did. She did so much for you know for kids around around theater and and making making uh, 
music available to, to kids that were not not getting it at school anymore. And I just it, it, ch children will listen is her whole program at at ASCAP with Stephen Schwartz. Um, but anyway, music and music cares is the yeah yeah you know it's yeah exactly and and uh, so it's it's a great opportunity to you know to. I spent a lot of time on the hill. I spent time on both sides of the aisle. Uh, I, you know, I long for the the days like you know, Ted Kennedy and Orrin Hatch were as far apart politically as you know. I mean, you know, they're, you know, they they absolutely you know what you know came from totally different camps about how to operate this this country, but they worked together and they created the Americans with Disabilities Act. Mm -hmm. Created AIDS, you know, uh, uh, AIDS legislation that you know that 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 was that dealt with AIDS, uh, uh, stuff that protected children. Uh, amazing work together, and I and it's you know, it in during my presidency that you know the thanks to all, uh, everybody in the business kind of getting together and saying how do we improve the the rules how do we how do we change the get them to change the rules that we operate under so it can be really fair and and effective and easier for all of us and by by letting down the, our 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 bridges you know the you know the drawbridge and instead of you know shoving people out of the way going well i just got to get my ascap share going how can we all wor work together and do this we passed the music modernization act and it was a you know, a, a real it improved the rules and the way that we operate, especially in streaming. So we can still do that, and um, it's a, it's a really interest, interesting time. I have friends on both sides of the aisle, uh, and when we do listen to each other, when we mm -hmm. listen to each other, we can make real, real make a, really make a difference. And the ASCAP board of directors is the hardest working, most, you know, speak with the heart, act with from the heart, uh, active songwriters and publishers, composers, you know, like, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's not just a bunch of old guys, you know, sitting around going, what are we going to do with these kids? Well, like that. It's, it's people that truly care about the young songwriter coming up and how do we make sure that, that, this young woman who's riding with the the headphones on so she doesn't wake the baby in the next room you know how do how do we make sure that she can you know can when she writes that one that just goes whoa wait a minute how do we make sure that she can take care of her family you know there's a lot of single moms out there there's a lot of a lot of single dads you know there my 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 daughter and her wife uh, uh have made me a, a you know I have become a, a a, I hope powerful advocate for the LGBTQ plus community. Mm -hmm. uh, my daughter lives in in Colorado, which is, you know, the governor of Colorado is gay, and I had a chance to meet him just on the streets, and I went, "Thank you, thank <laughs> you," because everything you're doing is to take care of, of my beautiful daughter and her beautiful, beautiful partner. Um, it's a, it's a really special time. And uh, I think that people mistake kindness for weakness, but there is intense power in knowing that you're doing the right thing. If it's especially when it's helping somebody else, it's it's the 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 core of, of the program that saved my life and and so many people's lives is love and service.
And this is exact. Okay, so I I, I want to honor the time that I promised I would, but this is the question that I I want to go out with. You are of such service with ASCAP in the program. Is this something that came naturally to you? Did this come to you with sobriety, with recovery? Where where did this inter- was this something your mother gave you? Where, where did you get this? Because it's a huge part of who you are. It's huge. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. And, uh, you know, if you do it right, it'll get you adored. <laughs> it, it has gotten you adored. Oh, no. no, but I thought about your first question. <laughs> no, you know what? You know what it is, is, is that, that there's a, there is a selfish quotient there. There's a, there's, there's a selfish little corner of it that that I will tell you that I think is part of part of why why that anonymous program works Mm -hmm. is because if you walk in the room and you and you've got three or four days and you're just really really new and somebody walks in the door you can turn to them and say do you have a big book would you like a cup of coffee my name's Paul I'm an alcoholic and for the first time when you do that, and I could cry. Mm-hmm. When you do that, you feel, I mean, I felt useful. Mm-hmm. And I felt honest. And I felt free of, uh, you know, there, I, I wrote a couple of songs on an album with Daft Punk. And one of mm-hmm. the songs is- it, And won a Grammy for it. We won the album yeah. of the year. Mm-hmm. And winning a Grammy is hard, but, but working it into every conversation is really hard. <laughs> but, <laughs> There's a, there's a there's a there's a line in beyond that says there's no such thing as competition you know when when you've gone beyond a certain place in your dream beyond dream uh, i don't even know if i can explain it but there's something when you move past competition when you realize that you know the that the, the action the breath is its own reward i mean it's just it's like breathing. It's just, and and it's what I'm surrounded with. It's like, I'm just, you know, like I'm the one that's getting a lot of attention for it sometimes. But the fact is that we live in a, in a fellowship. We participate in a fellowship where that's what the fellowship is. That's so were you not that way before, Paul? Were you not that way when you were drinking and using? Oh, I was, I, let me get that for you. I mean, there, you know, I would say that there's there's probably still a bit of, of ego involved in being able to you know be the guy that can help somebody whatever mm-hmm. uh, you know but no I you know I I was I'll tell you what the big difference is is that I was not thoughtless but it, my my first thought was was not wow. I wonder what I can, I mean, it's so easy to help. It's really easy to help people. It's really easy to help. And, you know, and it's the thing is that, I, you know, the, I, I loved Blow when I did it the first time. It was like, <laughs> you know, like wow, exactly. I am. I, I don't want to leave the room because I'm afraid that I'll miss what I'm saying. It's just, you know, it's just, you know, it's just all that energy of, wow. And then I'm writing and it's like really bright and whatever. And there's something about, about putting your hand out and, and doing something or going, you know what, I can, I can cover that for you. That is just the, 
it's just a high and so there's a selfish element in it too it's just you know and i always tell people that i'm looking for a loophole you know because <laughs> you know, my behavior was was pretty selfish for so many years it was about you know just the parties on and i was you know i and i didn't didn't think that i had a mean bone in my body but when i look at the behavior through the years for the first 49 years of my life you know especially when you have children that will that are now as young adults will tell you what it was like to be your kid then you know mm -hmm. said to me do you think you were a high bottom drunk i say ask my kids ask my kids if i was a high bottom drunk mm -hmm. ask them what it cost them by my drinking and using yeah, who was never at the at the games who was never at the dinner table you know who was off running around showing off I was better at showing off than showing up. And that cost me. And it kind of more importantly, it cost them. So uh so it's so was good. was making amends for you, Paul. Was that uh, I think for all of us it's it's the most freeing thing there is, but did you shock anybody? Did you surprise anybody? A, a couple of times with the brevity of my my amends, you know, I mean, my friend Michael Jackson, who produced my first two albums at AM, Michael James Jackson, not not, not, mm -hmm. not Michael Jackson of the Jackson Five, but Michael James Jackson, amazing man who taught me manners in the studio. Mm -hmm. Don't say you don't like something over the talk back before we've even had a chance to run it down. If, if once you hear it right, if you don't like it, step outside and we'll have a conversation in the hall, but don't in front of all these brilliant musicians go, yeah, but I don't like that, which is exactly what I did the first time I was in the studio with him doing an orchestra overdub. But, but, but Michael James Jackson, God, I just totally lost my train of thought. Where was I? Uh, we were talking about um, making amends. Oh, and exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the he he drove me home after a session when I was yeah. about a year sober. And as he pulled up, I said, "Incidentally, I said I must just. I mean, we we worked on Ishtar uh, in in Morocco, <laughs> and I was an absolute drunken mess. And and uh, I said, you know, I really put you through the the ringer, and and I, and I want to make amends for that. I really apologize. And I started to open the car door, and he reached over and grabbed the door, and he went boom, and he shut it, and he said. If you want to do that, let's talk about it. We sat there for about an hour and I got a lesson on what it was like to work with me in that condition and that it was a, 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 like a, a massive insult to think that I could wipe that away with so little attention. And it was a great lesson for me. It was, you know, again, it was, you know, uh, one of the, the affirmations from gratitude and trust is I will learn from my mistakes and not defend them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I saw what a huge mistake that was when in the process of making amends, I need to really change my behavior, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, and the re and the, re the return on change. And you know this, Vicki, the, the returns on changing your behavior is just lifts you up. I mean, it's like you're closer to the sun. It's just like, wow, this feels really good this feels really good and it's like but that doesn't i but i want to add for me i'm still very human at only 20 
years in there. And I still do things that I have to amend. I have one percolating right now <laughs> that, you know, I just, I, I am not always the, I am, I don't always make the best choice, even though I know better. Yeah. Well, there's things that we do that, you know, that, that are, are just little, little things that nobody should be bothered by. For example, if, if something has got me a little frightened over here, and uh, I'm not a guy that gets frightened. I can turn to somebody that I really love and, and tell, wait, wait a minute, <laughs> be a man that can control things with them. <laughs> what am I doing with this person when it has nothing to do? I'm just being rude to my, you know, to, and, and, and I live with somebody who will not put up with that. So, <laughs> ah, momentito, you know, and sit down. Okay, what? <laughs> you know, I think, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I mean, uh, on my way to a meeting sometime, you know, I have a car, I have a car that goes really, really, it's like, you know, a really wonderful car that goes really, really fast. And when I've been driving on the 405 for like maybe at two and hours and 10 minutes and 20 miles an hour, I'm not the most charming human being. <laughs> you know, I just, you know, get that gun, wait a minute, get that walker out of my way. I'm going to a meeting. For God's sake. I'm, a spiritual I'm going to a meeting to talk about serenity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm, you know, yeah, I can, I can be talking to somebody on the phone about, about the, the glory of acceptance and everything. And like something is like, what, what, but that was supposed to be tonight. God damn it. it was like, so, so yeah. Exactly. This is my point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? You, you've earned the right to be human. There were things that happened to you pre-verbal when you were just a baby that were unfair that you are still probably working out. Mm -hmm. I think I am as well. I think that people and and and, and, and I wish I could see everybody that was that was here tonight. But I would say that one of the things we that we can do that will make the world a better place is begin by realizing that so much of our behavior is responsive to stuff that we couldn't couldn't possibly remember. But something happened back there sometimes, you know. And the thing is that the behavior, my behavior when I was drinking and my behavior in sobriety, you know, sometimes is unconscious, but that doesn't mean that I don't need to clean it up. So it's, you know, and the other thing that that I think is really important is to remember that that the that it there is a rack focus on our sobriety and on our life. And I mean, when in, in early sobriety, there was somebody that I knew I never needed to make amends to. This person was, ooh, <laughs> I was fabulous. She was, oh my God, I will never ever, ever reach a point where I believe that I need to make that amends. And then about a few months later, I'm lying in bed and there's this little, there's a male slot between sleep and wake. <laughs> I'm not quite asleep. I'm not quite awake. And God goes with a memory and I go, oh my God, I need to make that, that, that woman needs, uh, deserves an amends. And my God, how could I not see what she was going through and what amazing gifts she gave me and, and, and the opportunity and the, what she was dealing with. And oh, Jesus. How could I be so stupid? Well, no, you're just, you know, sometimes when we're just waking up, we're not really sure. Kind of, you know, it's like, don't ask me, don't ask me difficult questions. Like, what time is it when I'm just waking up? <laughs> and when you're in early sobriety, in a lot of ways, you're just waking up. So, you know, all that I will never, you know, and 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 I think that that there's great comfort in knowing that that that, that you're in a, 
in something that is a very fluid journey and and the and so labels are not going to stick necessarily you know but you know paul you know i'm woke for all intents and purposes right i've been around for a little while but i my reactions that historic thing that historic wounding is still going to catch me by surprise and um yeah yeah i i i'm a work in progress that's for sure Yeah. yeah but you know what to do about it yes i do you know, and, and not only that, you know, you're honest about it, you know, and uh, that's that that's so you're transparent and you're and you're honest about it and all and and you look great no matter what, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so thank God. But that's a lie, too. I'm using lights and filters. <laughs> that's all a lie. But. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because your spirit is is visible, and it's you know, you know, you you. I mean, I mean, we like the attention, but but you know, you're being of service too, you know, and you're and you're so giving in this. I mean, you started out, you know, and, and uh, you know, you throw a couple of decent, you know, a de- couple of decent compliments at me, and I'm like, you know, well, uh, you know, let's let's do an extra hour, you know, but uh, but the fact is that. Uh, that it's complicated being people, you know, it's complicated being people. And I think that, that at this point in my life, it's, I just, I think I found a a really lovely, easier, softer way to live my life. And it's just to not, you know, don't, I don't let you realize that when in the middle of the night, you sit up in bed and you go, shit, who, how many, what's today's date? When does that do? Why did I say yes to? And when I'm overwhelmed at all, I remind myself that in the morning, that's this is that feeling is going to be gone. In the morning, you know, it, it's it's over. I'm overwhelmed at night and under construction in the morning, because I get up in the morning. And I go, okay, I know I'll do this first. Yeah, that's cool. Actually, that's easy. And you know what? I I can ask James to help me with that. That's cool. And you know, he'll be really good at that. And blah, 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 blah. Ah, ah, so in the morning, you're in the solution. So fear leaves you, and you get into solution. Yeah, is that? Mm-hmm. And I, my morning prayer is really simple. I say two things. I say, "Surprise me, God," you know, because the best stuff came when I it was the least thing I expected. And I say, "Lead me where lead you need me." Lead me where you need me. Yes, the famous yeah. Paul Williams words that we uh, that we all take away with us. Paul, I uh, I'm so grateful for you. I, I speak on behalf of all of the people who are watching who just are so grateful for. Every utterance, every word, every piece of music, every thought, every feeling you've shared with us um, has been so transformative, so beautiful, so moving, so powerful. I'm so grateful for you. I know I speak for everyone when I say that. And mostly, I'm so grateful for the power of, of example that you are as a human being, the work you do with ASCAP, what you do in the rooms, how you treat each and every person, that everybody has a story of how you've been so loving and kind and generous. Thank so you. thank you. You make me feel safe. That's a great place to start. Thank you so much for doing this. We're going to see you for dinner soon. And uh, yes. yes. Go yes, eat a cream pie. Have a big sloppy kiss for me. I absolutely will. And Mariana too. Thank, Thank you, you, Paul. Adore Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye.